Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome back, Crack fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As you listeners know, we have had so much fun with our friends at Aero Bar recording our Getting to the Point series focusing on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern tennis game. We've had so many great guests join us along the way, people ranging from Jay Berger, Lauren Embry, Trip Phillip, Billy Pate, you know, Michael Russell, Bjorn Fratangelo, and more, who have all come in and shared their experiences, talking about whether it's going from the college ranks to the pros, how difficult that transition is, the physical differences between even being a high-level college tennis player and trying to be a top-level professional. And they've talked about their own personal experiences, moments in their career when they've started to take fitness or nutrition more seriously or in their coaching experiences, how they stress that to their players. And they've offered insight that I think is just so valuable for all of us in the tennis community, even if we're not playing at the college or pro level. Just the little things, right, that we can all do to get better, to get the most out of our game. I've also enjoyed just picking all these fantastic brains, right? So many outstanding tennis minds. And we're joined by another one of them today on the show. Now, some of you may not know his work, but he was an outstanding, you know, a standout player during his time at Harvard. Of course, he went on to be a top 300 doubles player in both singles and doubles. Now, again, most notably, you probably know his brother James, but we are thrilled to be joined by Thomas Blake, who talks a little bit about his career, talks about what it's like, you know, growing up in a family where both tennis and academics is stressed and then he talks about, you know, his college experiences, what it was like for him to make the transition from the college ranks to the pros and you know, we pick his brain and have a ton of fun as well. We are joined, as always, by Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub. They played at Miami in a similar time period that Thomas played at Harvard, so we get to pick their brains, have a lot of fun. It's an enjoyable conversation, as it always is here on our Getting to the Point episodes. Of course, the reason we're able to do it, the support we get from our friends at Aerobar, you know this by now, but Aerobar, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business, more potassium than a banana, delicious cinnamon, honey, oat, and chocolate chip flavors. It's not going to melt in your bag. It's not made with all these preservatives or crazy ingredients. It's natural made, and it's going to give you the boost you need to not only get your game going in the right direction, but I'm serious, folks. I eat them all of the time. They're delicious. They keep you light on your feet, and they do give you the sort of boost you are looking for. So be sure to go to aerobar.com. Check them out. Go support them. Use our promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. 
order as well. So aerobar.com. Of course, for any of your gear needs, rackets, shoes, strings, clothes, be sure to go check out our friends at Midwest Sports. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order. Free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Midwest Sports, bringing Midwest values truly to the tennis uh, equipment industry. They're experts. The best in the business can help you find exactly what you're looking for. So be sure to go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. I will also quickly mention, if you, like all of us in the tennis world, getting geared up, getting excited for the year's third and final Grand Slam event, the French Open, be sure to check out all of our preview content on our website, CrackedRackets.com. The mini break podcast, Great Shot podcasts, rocking and rolling. Our YouTube channel going to get started up this weekend as well. You can follow along all the action. Pick with us as we make our selections every morning on our GSP Ace of the Day segment. If you're not already, like, rate, subscribe, review, share those episodes with your friends. We always appreciate hearing your feedback and are so grateful for all of you who take the time to do just that. But what else do you guys take the time to do? You come here to listen to our podcast. So without further ado, let's get to our latest getting to the point conversation with the wonderful Thomas Blake. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Joining us on the podcast today, he's a former top three player in the ATP singles and doubles rankings, a pro tennis coach, and of course, the most handsome of all of the Blakes in the tennis world, Thomas Blake. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, especially after that intro, man. I, I don't know that I've ever heard that from anyone. So um, <laughs> I'm sure there were some Blakes out there that, that had me beaten looks. Uh, I, that's That's just great to hear. No, I'm going through in my head. Yours is the first to come to mind, and I'm from the Barbara Walters School. Butter them up early so I can ask the tough questions later. Uh, But obviously, we are so excited to have you here today. And as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, your brother, or if it hasn't been mentioned, your younger brother, James, you are a tennis family. Uh, You got to play the U.S. Open with him, which is an experience I want to ask you about. But let's go back before that. Uh, You come from a big family, plenty of siblings to hit with. Is that how you got your start in the game? You know, actually, so it's just me and James and full mm-hmm. brothers. We have uh, four half siblings from my parents, both being married before. Um, mm-hmm. But no, we got the we started the game with my parents. My parents were very, very, very much. Uh, uh, they were just addicts. They would play every day. It's sort of how they met and. They were, instead of getting a babysitter, they would have us sit on the side of the court and watch them. And, you know, if we were quiet and we behaved, then we got to get out there and hit some balls with them. So um, that was our motivation to start. And and that got us going and sort of just grew from there. 
Mm-hmm. No, that's so awesome. And I know from personal experience, I have an older brother who's about three years older than me, but two school years apart. And so everything he was doing, I was doing. He was hitting, I was hitting. He'll say, I blazed the path, Alex. I'm the reason you were so successful. And, you know, as opposed to just that, uh, you know, oh, sorry, go ahead. He's exact, he's, no, no, he's 100% right, because everything that James <laughs> has accomplished in life is as a result of me setting the, you know, setting the stage for him, blazing the path whatever you want to call it it, it is he'll he won't admit it but he, he just he owes it all to me yeah and i think that's uh-huh. fair speaking as the younger brother uh all those <laughs> kind of things i saw him do i wanted to be better than him at and i can remember the day it's the end of august i think the 21st to be exact and he had come back from this trip going into his senior year of high school he was uh, just abroad doing something in the summer as you do as you start to become a serious human being but i wasn't i was going into my sophomore year and i'm like i'm gonna beat you when you get back and i did and i haven't lost to him since and i'm not gonna ask you if there was a moment like like that, but for you, you know, again, to be ascending the rankings, to have someone to do it all with, how does that, you know, influence your relationship with the sport? I know I'm so fond of tennis because those are the memories I immediately turn to when I think about that game. Uh, getting to have someone to grow up playing with, what did that mean to you? Yeah, no question. So I, I'm happy to address that. I think it, it's great memories. It's all great memories for me, uh, for our family. I. there wasn't one moment where I knew he was better than me. I think uh, I always knew he had more of a drive than I did and, and would sort of run through a wall to be successful at it where I, I wanted to, and I loved the game, but I didn't quite have what he had where I I will literally break my neck to, to play this game. Um, But it was, uh, it was always great to, the steps that I took and the rankings that I achieved as minor as they were to see him, to be able to talk to him about, Hey, this is what I, these are the mistakes I made. This is what I did. Right. This is what I did wrong. This is what you should do. And to see him do better than me, it couldn't, you know, I couldn't be prouder. It's uh, it was a weird question to get all the time from, you know, the college paper and, and after school, (laughs) if I were ever interviewed, it was whether I had some kind of jealousy or anything. And it's just never been like that. It's always been, Hey, if if somebody's going to succeed, why wouldn't I be happy that it's my younger brother? I just didn't really make sense to me to, to think in, I don't know, terms of where I didn't want to see him do better. I always, I I wish he had gotten the number one and won a couple of majors. That would have been all the, all the more uh, fun to be a part of. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. And hello to your daughter in the background. I'm glad we have another guest joining us. No, that's what we love to hear because it's a big Blake family. And, you know, just to stick on that point as someone who is also a bro- a sibling, yeah, I, I mean, my fondest memories looking back are the fact it's not even the hitting with my brother Eric. It's the fact that after practice, he and I are going to Potbelly and we're sitting in the car and I can tell you the radio station we're listening to. And that's probably why I do this now. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm so happy to hear that as well. And I think you're being a little modest. It, beforehand, I was talking with Mark and I was like, oh, I'm looking at the Kalamazoo 92 draws. I see he lost a three set match to Fluid. Fluid goes on to fourth place in 94. You know, a pretty good match for you, three sets against Turnquist, who we all remember was number one in the nation at the time so you're selling yourself short with the you know to use tennis 
to get to well i guess if you want to address those matches first am i opening up old wounds no yeah, i'm not, no, I'm not no, impressed no. with I the uh, look, I... turn quest loss i'm not i'm not impressed with yeah, the turn quest there, loss, there's so. nothing impressive about that i um i kind of <laughs> fell into the I'm, i made the finals of uh the clay courts i'm really happy to be here i'm gonna make a big run and and lost to the guy that just pushed the ball probably hey you <laughs> see he's probably a really nice guy i haven't talked to him since i was 17 but um yeah, I don't think I should have lost that. But... He's the only person I beat 6060 in college, if you're wondering, was Turnquist <laughs> at, at TCU, which was like his third school. <laughs> I wasn't wondering, but thanks for letting me know. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> oh, no, that is awesome. And so for you, it's such an interesting path, right? Trying to figure out what sectionals to play, regionals, nationals. Should I be playing futures events? Should I be focusing on college? How was negotiating that path for you? Because ultimately you end up in a school in Harvard, which, you know, that's every parent's dream is that their kids' sporting achievements take them to a college of that prestige. Negotiating that path for you, what was that like looking back on it? What advice might you uh, give to students going through that now? Uh, looking back for me, I'll address that first. It, personally, I didn't really ever think of going, playing professionally. It was, you know, it was a faraway dream, but as a sort of late bloomer, that was my second year 16s was the first time I made a national tournament. So I was always, I, I, my first year 16s, sorry, I said second year 16s, I made a national, my first year 16s, I didn't even make the top 32 in my section i didn't make sectionals so i tennis was like it was a, a fun activity it was something i concentrated on it was something my family did but it wasn't something that i thought was going to be a long-term endeavor for me so i was always more and my parents were very much neither one of them went to college they were very much focused on uh an education so <clears throat> it was it was always an easy decision for me um I probably had a couple of points in college where when I started getting a lot better sophomore, junior year, where I kind of thought, Hey, I'm in this division in the Northeast where there's not a lot of competition. Maybe I should think about going in and dipping my toe in the water in the summers and see if that works. And maybe I can do this. But, um, but for me, really, I think it was, uh, it was an easy decision to stay in school for the four years, especially with my brother, three years younger and knowing that he was going to possibly leave early and we could sort of navigate this road together. Um, that was an easy decision. <clears throat> I, I think it's, it's in terms of giving advice for other people, um, coming up, I think it's, it's an individual, uh, everybody's situation is different. If you're, you know, even if you're number one in the country and beating everybody and losing one or two matches a year, you, you got to consider the fact that the pros are a lot better and you look at any other sport, you, there, there's a disconnect between the best college player in football and basketball and in baseball and anything. They, they take a step up to the next level and everybody is as good. Everybody is better, stronger, bigger, faster, everything. So um, you just kind of look at where you are mentally, where you are physically, it's easy in tennis to sort of dip your toe, play a couple of events and see how it goes before you make that leap to like leave school or forego a scholarship or something like that. I think that that's a, it's a big thing to turn down. 
Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, I want to talk about your time in college, what that did for you, the perspective it offered. But I have to get Mark involved here because, you know, <laughs> okay. I I was doing my research and I'm looking back 1997, a pesky at the time, probably like 18 and 6 Harvard team, really good season. They're coming into, I believe, a regional semifinal against your typical arrogant, cocky, oh, we're the Miami Hurricanes, Mark Aerosmith (laughs) and crew. And I know that match was a battle, I believe, a 4-3 decision. Mark, I'm going to let you speak to that first. What do you remember from that match? I'll be honest. I don't, uh, you can quack this out. I don't remember, man. I didn't even travel to that match. (laughs) (laughs) That's 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 where I was in the lineup that year was I was at, at home probably uh having a good time in Miami but uh yeah I mean I I, I found out we lost 4-3 probably by reading it in the paper um yeah I know that uh yeah I know it was a 4-3 one night and I think you know, like there were not like you guys didn't play on six courts up there right so wasn't it like in right. stages Yep. So, so I like I got the rundown from the guys, but yeah, I mean you can fill in on that one. Um, you know, kind of how it played out. Yeah. Uh, so back in the day, this has since been a new. There's a new indoor facility at Harvard. Um, some older alum that I never met donated a whole bunch of money and put their name on a a brand new building. But um, back in the day when I was there. We only had a three-court indoor facility that was shaped like, uh, basically shaped like half a beer keg. It was round, and <laughs> um, you, it, the sound echoed around. There was a limited seating, but uh, it, it was a pretty strong home court advantage. Courts were pretty fast. We used to get some southern schools and some some teams that play outdoors normally to come up, and it's it's normally raining in the spring or something, and Luckily, we got some rain, so we had to move indoors. And, um, yeah, three courts, so you can't play. You can play the three doubles at the same time. Then you've got one, two, three, and as they finish, four, five, and six go on. And um, if I remember correctly, we won the doubles, so we're up 1-0. And then we lost, I lost at number one to Mike Russell, who you – probably have heard the name and he may have already been on this before because uh you know top 50 in the world course uh round of 16 at the french crazy great career but um i lose to this kid that's like half my size he's a couple of years younger than me i'm i'm playing the best of my life i'm thinking i can turn pro and this kid just you know i think it i think it was a close two sets i don't think we went three sets but um it was a little demoralizing. I thought I was going to take us to the promised land, but after losing those first three matches, um, the next wave goes on and they're starting. Right, so you guys couple, lost, you guys lost one, two and three. I, if I, if I remember right, I think, yes, we did. I think we're so down. Boyce, to, yeah. I think Boyce played three and actually tried because it was a, a big match. I, yeah, so, yeah. I, I would have to check, and I think it was uh, Ivan Rodrigo was playing two and yeah. handled someone from our team pretty well. Um, I think I was the only one that was close out of the top three. And then we had a couple of guys that were just grinders, four, five, six, these New England, New York guys that grew up playing indoors on fast hard courts that are just taking balls early, hitting them low and flat, and and 
you know, the whole college atmosphere. We've got some fans in the stands that are yelling. You've got echoes and um, it just sort of uh, somehow it worked out for us. Some, some guys pulled it out. I think Mike Passarella was actually the clinching win um, playing at like number six. Five right. or six. I, like, I like Passarella probably better than whoever he played on my team. So, <laughs> so all time good guy. I played junior doubles with him in New England. And so I love to see it happen. And um, yeah, that was, it was a, a fun memory, but that is, that facility has gone by the wayside. I think it's like a strength and conditioning place with turf on the floor now. It <laughs> uh, doesn't have the same feel that it used to. No, it's the football team's extra field house. Um, but yeah, <laughs> right. just for, uh, you know, obviously that was a fun one. And then for you, the next year, you've sort of alluded to this. You have James join the team and that that year. You guys go on a similar run. You make the round of 16, 25 and four. I believe uh, I, I want to say you, you went undefeated through the Ivy League season, which is obviously always something special. And just, you know, for you guys to ha- to have that sort of run, to get to do it with your brother, to get to do it. Uh, for a Harvard team that obviously finding itself in the round of 16 doesn't happen frequently. Uh, when you look back at that, how fond are those memories? Those are, those are fantastic. I wish I, you know, I have a little regret because I think we could have surpassed any Harvard team the, in the sort of more recent era. Um, I unfortunately got hurt during the spring and, uh, wasn't able to play for most of the Ivy League season. So they did that with me sitting on the sideline and everybody have to, having to move up a, a spot. And really, when we went to Georgia for the round of 16, I was just there as a placeholder. They, they put me in at number two, and I think I played four or five games against uh, a guy from Georgia and then retired. And same thing, I played like two doubles and, and tried to do my best, but I had unfortunately had torn my hamstring early in the early in like February. And it just, you know, I, I tried to come back too early, re-injured it. And um, I, 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 it was great. It was great having that experience with my brother. It was great being able to, to do everything with him. Uh, I wish we had had a chance. That was the year of the Bryans that Bob Ryan swept everything. Stanford won on the team. Bob won the singles, Bob and Mike won the doubles. I would have liked to, try to have a Blake Ryan rivalry, even though they beat us every time we played them in the pros, um, which was only a couple of times, but it would have been, uh, it would have been fun to see. I think we could have given them a run for their money. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, I want to talk about your pro experiences, but for you, getting to go to college, spending the four years there, you talked about always valuing your education and how that was ingrained in you. But what did that college tennis experience do for you? And is it one you would recommend to, you know, the majority of those pursuing tennis, you know, at the next level? Absolutely. Um Unless you are, and I've I taught for a little bit after I got off the tour with juniors with my old coach. Um, a, I, I helped him with the kids that he was working with, and everything I would tell them was, you you have time, unless you are Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, unless you're 16 years old and top hundred in the world, playing in the main draw of majors, stuff like that. Why not go to school? Why not? take advantage of the training that you can get. You can get, put your time in on the gym, put your time in with guys that are bigger and stronger than you, 
have have this communal experience that once you start on the tour is really it's really really lonely um you know i'm i'm sure the minor league sports in other professional um for other professional sports are kind of the same but at least a lot of them are are teams i mean baseball you're riding on the bus together same thing with football maybe you're flying around um basketball the d league you you still have five or t- 10 guys that are on a team with tennis Mark can speak to this because, you know, we were at a couple of futures together. You are literally on your own. You may start the week with three or four guys in a motel room, but as they leave, as they lose, if you do better, they're gone and you're on your own. And then you make your way to the next week on your own. And it is, it's, it's really lonely and it's really hard mentally on a 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kid. So if you can get that experience at school, um, I would absolutely recommend it. Well, do, do yeah. you, uh, I, so do, do you I mind see. elaborating a little bit on uh, you and Mark Aerosmith's traveling <laughs> schedule? And, uh, <laughs> do, I mean, is, do we have, is, is that appropriate for this episode? I think one, one, uh, one word probably, I mean, is just point a note. Uh, <laughs> which is a a fine restaurant in the Montreal area. If anyone out there gets a chance to, uh, it was, I think it's gone, Mark. I think, uh, unfortunately we had some good times there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I moved out of the hotel and in with a, um, with a waitress. I was, I was, I was just truly curious, you know, since we're talking about, you know, scheduling and like traveling and the tough, tough part of that i was just figuring i just wanted to know how that rigorous schedule of you, you two's was on the road yeah <laughs> well look well, I, I, yeah I, I i don't know mark can speak to this i think if you're traveling and playing 30 to 40 tournaments a year every once in a while you deserve a week where you take it kind of <laughs> check out and take it easy. <laughs> where you choose to travel with mark aerosmith <laughs> right yeah it was uh <laughs> No, I mean, I actually think that you, a little bit at the futures level, you have those two types. You have the guys that are kind of lonely out there doing it, and the guys, the guys that are kind of not lonely and having fun tend to maybe not not be as successful. Yeah, <laughs> there's a delicate balance. Let's go. With yeah, it. that's completely fair. And you know, to something you sort of alluded to uh, there, uh, Tom is the idea of go to college, work on your strength, work on your training. And as you made the transition from the college game to the pros, uh, was that the biggest transition is going up? And it sounds kind of obvious, but going up against full grown men, going up against people who had grown into their bodies, who were physically developed and, you know, how important do you think in the modern game? Again, I I ask a lot of six part questions. Like I said, Barbara Walters school (laughs) of journalism here, but, um, you know, in terms of how important is that, uh, you know, fitness and nutrition to making the jump to the highest level of the pros? A couple of things. It's it's, nowadays, it is probably the most important. Uh, I think it's, it's James and I were lucky growing up where uh, we had the chance to work out with a couple of older pros that were living in Connecticut at the time um, in Yvonne Lendl and Matt Vlander and got to pick their brain a little bit and the game's changed back then 
not everybody is working out five, six times a day, taking care of their nutrition, watching what they eat, uh, watching their sleep. Like they would go to the U S open, go to majors and look at the quarterfinals and think about where they were going to party for the first week in Paris and then sort of wake up and, and sober up for the round of 16. And it's not nowadays. It's not like that nowadays. I mean, you see guys at the top with the exception of maybe the top three, you can see the fourth, fifth, sixth seed go out in the first round to a, a guy that's a hundred in the world. And everybody's uber talented in fantastic, in incredible shape. And, um, it is the hardest thing when you get out of college and when you, when you find out that you think you've been putting in all of the work and you think you've been doing crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's. And then all of a sudden you're playing with guys that are really living this and treating it like a job. And it's a, it's a pretty big wake up call. Um, especially when you go full body cramp in like the middle of the summer and have to go to the hospital and the other guy <laughs> is playing another round and you realize that there's no way you could have made it into that, that second round that day, you would have been on the floor somewhere and you have to just, you have to change your outlook if you're really going to make it. Yeah. I mean, that's, uh, I mean, with Aerobar and, you know, kind of why we, why we started it, was that exact thing a bunch of us had gone through. I mean, obviously, you know, Jay uh, Berger and Ivan, who were our coaches at Miami, like they, they crushed us physically. Um, and then really the nutrition was like, you could grab a banana or grab a power bar and that was it. And there was nothing specialized and nothing, you know, I would imagine it was probably the same or if, if not even <laughs> that good at Harvard. Um, but yeah. it's, it's, you know, like how have you seen it? Like even James's career, I mean, he was out there a bit longer. Like how, how did you see that change with those guys from college to the pros though? Like just the nutrition. Night and day. So James went, James had a little bit of a cramping issue early on in his career. Um, you know, if you followed his career, you probably saw him throw up on court at the U S open in one of his big matches on, on a stadium early on. And so, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was a big thing trying, trying to figure that out and he had to go and fly across the country to a couple of different specialists, do some fitness testing, find out what his body was lacking. And all of a sudden, you know, putting new different supplements into his drinks and bars. Um, unfortunately there were no aero bars at the time, but, uh, you know, whatever had those, those things that his body was, he was sort of sweating out more than a normal person does trying to get them back in. Uh, just so he could stay and, and last through a five-set match in the heat. Um, and nowadays, you hear stories about Djokovic and, and some of these guys sleeping in these pods and, and and doing every little minor thing they can do to, to, to get one more little quarter of a percent out of their body and out of their performance. And that's just the way all sports are going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it... Uh... I, I actually remember I wrote this, I text this to your brother. James was commentating a Juan Monaco match on, on TV at one point. And I texted him and he said the story on air that I played the guy in Jamaica and, and my lower body cramped. And then I wandered down to the beach and Juan Monaco was running sprints in the sand. Oh, yeah. um, 
you know, after our two and a half, three hour match, um, long, long before he was actually good. But, um, and it was, I started talking to the guy and started talking to his coach and they're like, Oh yeah, you know, here's what he does after every match. And here's the refueling process and here's this and that. And I was like, Oh my God, like I have no chance out here. Um, (laughs) But it was, I just, I didn't know anything about it then. And, and really nobody was, nobody was teaching it or i mean i guess some guys knew it but yeah it's been a it's been a huge change what was yeah. your um i mean you coached uh maria right Karolinko? yep like you traveled like what was her um you know that was a bit ago as well but kind of how was the fitness and nutrition there on that side on the women's side she was uh, very much into the fitness part of it. And I think it was, I saw this with a number of other Russian players, just seeing them on the tour as they were, they put the work in. I mean, she would even, I, I tried to get her to work less sometimes because she had some knee issues uh, during the time that I, I was traveling with her. And it, it didn't, you know, just strap a brace on and hit your cross courts and, and do, she would just do it regardless of the fact that, she was hurting and then afterwards go for a run and same kind of thing, maybe run on the grass because your knees hurting, but there was no, there was no day where um, she really took off. And I I think that's become a lot of pretty much everybody's mindset now. Um, It's, I guess you kind of have to at this point. Mm -hmm. Uh, But on that note, just, follow up on that thought i feel like another thing that has become more prevalent over these past five years maybe even three years in particular and it sort of starts with the nba it seems like always and trickles down to some other sports they're just ahead analytically is this idea of resting is this idea of not overtraining, of knowing when to hit the brakes is that a development you you would now stress to your athletes as well as there is such a thing as overtraining? so here's the problem with that or not the problem Mm -hmm. i would say basketball the oxymoron of it all <laughs> yeah basketball is a different story and most organized sports are team sports are in that Kawhi leonard has a umpteen million dollar a year contract regardless of whether he plays uh 82 games or plays 50 games or doesn't play all season he's getting paid tennis players especially guys that aren't in the top 10 top 20 are getting paid prize money based on how they do that week. And that's the basis of their pay. That's, that's what they get. So it would be great to be able to manage your time. And obviously you've seen Federer and Dahl take more weeks off as they age. Um, Same thing with Djokovic and Murray now after his hip surgery, but the majority of the guys on the tour that are trying to scratch out a living at 50 in the world and make enough to put some money away and, and, and not have to go and work after they're done. Unfortunately, they have to be out there all the time. So yeah, you can cut back on your training a little bit, but you still have to be in shape enough to get out on the court and grind through five or six matches in a week. Um, So it's a really, really tough balance in tennis where, uh, you can plan it a lot better in some other sports, I would say. 
Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And those pressures are things that come up so frequently. You're chasing points. You're chasing first, yep. even if it's only a first round loss, you need that check because, and how prevalent has that become given in the midst of a global pandemic yeah. for the players ranked outside the top 50, really? You just don't have any financial comfort going year in, year out. Your you know margins are so thin with all of the travel, with all of the training costs. And so, yeah, I, I completely agree with you there. At the same time, I, I do think, the modern demands of the, I'm curious your thought on this it's a little bit of a tangent but I, in men's tennis I have this theory I think the 2020s and just moving forward in tennis it's going to be dominated by players who are six four to six foot six who have the sort of power but flexibility of a Zverev of a Medvedev even people like Hachinov or Berrettini or Tsitsipas is six four that's not small I just feel like you're going to have to be that big to survive given the demands of the modern game you have to be able to create something easy for yourself on the serve and then physically you got to be able to move around do you think is there any fairness to that theory i guess you know i'm testing it's out my hypothesis i'm throwing at you i yeah i would agree i think you're right i think there's going to be your you're you're going to have your exceptions you're going to have your your diego schwartzman's your casper rudes your guys that are um uber talented but happen to be less than six feet tall, I think they'll be the exceptions. I think you're right that you're going to get not just in tennis. I mean, you're seeing it in golf now. Guys are Mm -hmm. in the gym. They're getting bigger. They look like athletes as opposed to, uh, you know, just guys that are good at hitting the ball. And it's, it's every sport is becoming more bigger, stronger, faster. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just, it's, I don't know. It's just the way it's going. So, I think you're onto something. I think you're right. Uh, I don't know what the perfect size is. I don't know. It seems like Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic and Murray are all in the like six two, six three ish range, and all move incredibly well and are in unbelievably flexible. And but but who knows? Maybe that over time turns into Zverev and Del Potro and. I don't know how tall team is. I mean, I, I I don't get to stand next to those guys anymore. I don't go to too many tournaments, (laughs) but it seems like it is just creeping up slowly. Yeah. I think team, yeah. Team Shapovalov, they're the exceptions because they've got those blessed shoulders where it's just like, yeah, we just kind of were put on this earth to do this. Um, But yeah, I mean, to, to your golf point, Bryson DeChambeau is starting at left tackle next week for my Detroit lions. So like, yeah, (laughs) these guys are freaking huge. Yeah, if there's anything to show where that's going, I mean, he just transformed his body to win, to, to you know, look at how he can reshape the game. And it's pretty, uh, I think there's always going to be in every sport, there's going to be people that are looking at it analytically and seeing what's the best way to tackle this problem. And yeah, maybe six four, six five, six six is the answer. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think it's definitely going to be something fun to monitor moving forward. Well, a couple of fun questions for you because I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I hear the new point yeah. and I want to be respectful I put the of that. Bed, so yeah. Ex- exactly. <laughs> so then last couple of questions for you, home stretch. Again, I speak from the things I know. If I got to, we got to play one high school tournament together. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. We went three and out in my top three sporting experiences forever. If I got to do that with my brother at the U.S. Open, I, 
it's all we, I would ever talk about. The microphone would never be off record. It would just be a running monologue of everything that happened. <laughs> How cool was that moment for you just to, again, be on that stage to share that moment? Well, look, we were, we were from New York. We were born in New York, um, had too many ticket requests to, to handle. Uh, and it, it, it couldn't have been more fun to share that with my brother. Um, I luckily got to do it a couple of times, got to play qualities again. Um, but yeah, it, it, nothing can really match that. I don't, I don't think there's anything else that, uh, I don't know what else has, has, I mean, I've got a baby. That's great. I got married. Those are, <laughs> those are, those are fantastic. I don't think I really achieved all that much. I, I maybe, uh, hoodwinked my wife into marrying me and you know, that kind of thing. But, uh, uh, my now that, that was, that, that's probably top, top couple of achievements in my life and top couple of memories that I'll, I'll always have and always be able to talk about. Thomas, I'm, I'm actually a little disappointed that the, uh, Benoit member guest the Benoit. <laughs> you and I partaked in is not at the top of that list. Even ahead you of know, the US Open, I choked but. it a little. I, I choked a little out there, so I, I choose to. That, that had to go down a couple of spots. If I had made a few more putts, it would have been up there. <laughs> that, uh, but, but we did that, get that, to that see Mark sleep under a three, so that was good. That, that's Pause. true. There was some funny I was going to say that might, that might be chalked up to another uh, pre-tournament uh, go out with me uh, faulty uh, decision there again. Yeah, it's an issue of pushes myself, but it was fun. <laughs> no absolutely well then again last two questions for you and we'll let you go um to stick with the brother theme i know i've asked him he said both of my brothers older and younger they say why would i listen to the podcast i'll just call you you hear james is on the call for a match on television do you turn it on mute oh no 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 <laughs> if he's on uh i don't watch a whole lot of tennis on TV, my wife is obsessed with it now, so she's always got it on. But if I do hear him uh, in the background, then I'll sit down and listen. I think, uh, and not because I like hearing his voice, because I want to find some kind of mistake that he makes so I can text him and and <laughs> or or someone else who is on the telecast with him that you know he can't really say what he thinks when they say something stupid. So I text him and like, hey man, you know that was completely wrong. What you know, take your pick of one of the other commentators just said, and you just kind of laughed it off and ha ha and tried to change the subject. He's like, yeah, of course, that was that was an idiot. That was that was stupid. So um, that's more why I listen. Why I would listen. No, that's fair. I got 10 minutes on laugh criticism from my older brother. He's like, you laugh too loudly, whatever. I'm like, I'm trying to build an engage. I'm trying to engage my – blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then the my younger brother, the nicest thing he's ever said to me, he goes, Alex, if I wanted to talk to you, I'll just call you. And I was like, you will call me. That's that's true. Like you have been calling late. I'll give you the pass. Um, but anyways, then my final question before I let you go. Can't let you off the hook without some French Open predictions. Men's singles, women's singles. Give me your two champions oh man it is really hard to ever pick against nadal on clay uh even though he lost to schwartzman last week even though Djokovic looks like he's coming into form and has only hasn't really lost a match yet this year i still think if you 
put him and the doll in the finals and it's three out of five, um, you know, the, the money's got to be on the doll. Uh, women's a lot tougher. I, I <clears throat> sadly, I would go with the favorite and say that Hallett probably wins it. Um, she's just rock solid. And it's, that's kind of what it takes right now. I think everybody's getting back into form now. And if you've got someone that's just going to be out there and grind all day, she's probably going to win it. Thomas, I got I one last this. question. Uh, oh, since you brought up Schwartzman, uh, when you look at Diego Schwartzman's career and then you look at Mike Russell, who's similar uh, height, how much less um, like proud of you are of, of Mike Russell are you now that you've seen Schwartzman do so much better? <laughs> That's not right, man. I think uh, <laughs> I had an unbelievable career. <laughs> um, I uh, hey, look, Mike was stuck traveling with with Terry London, so. You know, it wasn't, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't like he had Chella. He, he didn't have a guy who was top fifteen in the world in his quarter. Um, Mike was. He also had. He had. He had friends like us with him. So, ah, yeah. he, You know, it's probably incredible that he made it as far as he did. Yeah, Dude, had, he had Mark Smith with him at, I had time, 15, at one time. <laughs> I had fifteen Jack and Coke in the tournament in the coaches box when he played your brother at the Open. <laughs> well, he couldn't beat James on on the tour. He beat him in every challenger, so um, <laughs> probably better to just enjoy it while you're out there. Yeah, no, I no. just like to uh, give Mike some crap on that one because Schwartzman's significantly diminishing Mike's career. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, Too good. No, well, yeah, that feels like a perfect place to leave it. Well, obviously, Tom, thank you so much for taking the time for chatting with us. Obviously, hope you and your family stay safe and healthy. And, you know, you are always welcome back on the show should you ever want to come chat with us again. Cool. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, I yeah, will. Thanks, too. I'll talk to you guys soon. Yep, yeah, take thanks. care. Bye. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hope all of you enjoyed our conversation with Thomas Blake. Again, a huge thank you to both him and our friends over at Aerobar, Mark Aerosmith, Andrew Golub, for setting up this interview, for continuing this series with us. Uh, not only valuable insight, not only enjoyable conversations, but, you know, just it, it's really just a, it, it's an enjoyable series where I'm glad we can bring this sort of content to you listeners. We've gotten to speak with so many incredible tennis minds, um, and hopefully we'll get to keep doing this moving forward. Now, the way you can support our friends at Aerobar 
Aerobar, of course. Go check out their product at aerobar.com, the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. Use the promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. And of course, again, we are so grateful for their continued support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Go be sure to support our friends at Midwest Sports as well. Go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And then, of course, best of all, that free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Now, some of you may be wondering, what do we have in store for you here at Cracked Rackets? Well, you know it's French Open time, and we are getting excited for that action. We are rocking and rolling on our Great Shot podcast, Mini Break podcast. So be sure to go like, rate, subscribe, review, share those with your friends. Also, of course, be sure to check out our YouTube channel. You can see my smiling face, Jamie McDonald's smiling face, our cast of characters, as we, of course, take you through the next two weeks of Grand Slam action. You can find all of our content by going to our website, CrackedRackets.com. You need that more immediate update. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow or message me directly, I'm at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Flickner and Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out making all of this fantastic content possible but with that in mind for our wonderful guests thomas blake my co-host andrew golub mark aerosmith our super producers max flickner and daniel westoff our friends at midwest sports and aerobar and all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy and we'll see you all next time thanks everyone